Hey church, I want to wish you a happy Easter. I'm really glad that you decided to join me today. Uh, These are days that we're living in right now of anxiety and uncertainty. But here's the good news. Easter is built for days like this. Easter is built for moments like this. So today's message is really, really simple. I want to give you a heads up on that. It's really simple, but I hope it's really encouraging. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into the message, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the day. We thank you for the resurrection and the power of it. Uh, I want to pray over our church and anybody watching this video that the power of this news that we're going to share today uh, would invade their hearts and their minds and that we would come to a place of joy, hope, and peace in you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the resurrection. May it invade every area of our lives. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I understand that this is not a typical Easter experience for you, but I want you to think about in years past, the more typical kind of Easter experience for you and your family. What, are you, what would you say are the must-bes of Easter time? What are the absolute musts for you and your family? Maybe for you, you would say, all right, when it comes to Easter, we must be dressed up. When it comes to Easter, we must be dressed up. Cheryl, my wife, has this as a core value that we like to get dressed up for special holidays. We put our son Sam in a bow tie. We put our daughter Lila in a dress. And then Cheryl and I, we kind of do our best to match our kids. We must be dressed up. Maybe for you it would be, we must go out to eat. On Easter, we must go out to eat. That This is something that my family made a really big deal of when I was growing up. A lot of times my grandparents would come back from Florida right around Easter time. And so they'd come to us with Easter service. And then we would all go out to this pretty expensive restaurant. Uh, and and eat this wonderful buffet. They they had a chocolate fountain that was life-changing at this place. And it's just a fond memory I have growing up that we must eat out on Easter Sunday. Maybe for you, you would say, when it comes to Easter Sunday, we must go to church. Many people have this as a tradition. The whole family comes and they take up a row or two in the worship gathering. Maybe it's one of those few times in the year where your whole family can gather together and you would say, we must go to church. That's something that we must do. Today, I want to read to you just a very simplistic Uh, message uh, from the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up uh, to Luke 24. And I want to read to you this resurrection story, uh, Luke's account of it. And in this story, I want you to pay attention as I'm reading to the the must be. These are the things that must be. Uh, And then we're just going to kind of dissect those a little bit and celebrate the resurrection together. Here it is, uh, Luke 24, uh, starting in verse one. On the first day of the week, Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. 
In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the man said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. And then they remembered his words. I'm going to be honest with you. I spent an uncomfortable amount of time trying to title this message. The message is all about what Jesus said must be or will be. And so as I'm trying to think through the title, I'm combining the word be with Easter. And I just could not bring myself to title this message Beaster. It just didn't seem right. It just didn't make sense. But still, look at, look at all the usage of the word be in this text. It says, first of all, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinful, of sinful men. He must be delivered over to the hands of sinful men. And one thing we know about Jesus, we know a lot of things, but one thing we know for certain is that Jesus never sinned. And this is important to remember because the crucifixion was kind of a Roman tool to punish the evil acts of mankind. It was over the top to be sure, but someone might murder someone or steal from someone or do some other kind of act. And crucifixion was the Roman culture's way of dealing with your sin. That's not what is happening in this story. And this story kind of flips it on its side. In this story, the completely innocent person is on the cross. And the sinful men and the sinful women were the ones who were crucifying the innocent one. It was their pride. It was their need for control. It was their anger that led them to crucify the innocent Jesus. And maybe in some small way you can relate to this. Maybe you've had an experience in the past, maybe even in the recent past, where someone else's sin, not your own, but someone else's sin kind of spilled over on you and affected you. A lie that was told, an action that was taken, a moment that really genuinely hurt you. So the Son of Man must be handed over to, to the hands of sinful men. The Son of Man must be crucified. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. If you've had an opportunity to ever see the passion of the Christ, you saw this depicted in startling display. He is beaten. He is forced to carry his own cross. He is crucified, and then he died that day. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, at this moment in the story, the passage I read in Luke, at this moment, here, here's what you knew. You knew Jesus was innocent. You spent three years with this man, and you know he wasn't guilty of any crimes. He'd done nothing wrong, and you knew he was dead. This is why early the disciples were hiding after Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, this is why the women are bringing burial spices with them to the tomb that morning. Everyone believed he was dead, and everyone believed this was the end of the story. And I think that this is when discouragement most likely sets into our hearts and our minds. It happens when we believe this is the end of of the story. It happens when we believe it is always going to be like this. Early on in the quarantine, I found myself incredibly, incredibly discouraged. I was afraid. I was uncertain of what the church was going to look like moving into the, into the future. Uh, I didn't know how we were going to handle this thing. There came a moment where I was kind of freaking out. And, and then all of a sudden, one night I was laying in bed praying and I remembered it's not always going to be this way. 
It's this way for a season. It's not going to last forever. The medical professionals are going to figure this out. The scientists are going to figure this out. It's going to be okay. See, discouragement comes when you believe this is the end of the story. Maybe you felt that way before. I'm always going to be unemployed. This is just, this is just how it is. I'm always going to be single. I'm always going to feel this way. I'm never going to see this person again because they passed away. This is the end of the story. And here's the encouraging word I've come to bring you today. This is not the end of the story. This is not the end of the story. This is not the end of the story for Jesus. The text says he will be handed over to sinful men. The text says that he will be crucified. But then the text goes on to say he will be raised again. He will be resurrected. And this is the day that we come to celebrate today. This is the, the day that we celebrate every day. This is the day where we remember that sinful men can do what they're going to do. Crucifixion can do what it does, but they don't win. This is the day we remember that there is a third day that comes. There is always a third day with God. The Apostle Paul believed this to, to his core. As a matter of fact, listen to his words from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. You can pause me just for a minute if you want to look it up. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, and then he appeared to James and to all the other apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. There's always a third day. There's always a third day. And I think that this is easier to compute on days four, five, and six. It's kind of easier to see in the, in the rear view mirror. It's harder to see it in the windshield. But I think this is why it's incredibly important to sometimes look back and remember experiences that you have where Jesus brought victory into our lives, where Jesus brought that third day moment. I would encourage you right now, think through some of those times right now. If you, if you are watching on, on a, a video with other people, you can kind of pause it and discuss it with your family. Family, but what are some of the victories that you can see in the rearview mirror, some victories that Jesus has brought into your life? Was there a time in your life where a victorious outcome felt and seemed impossible, that it was never coming, but it came nonetheless? It's easier to see it on days four, five, and six. You know when it's hard to remember this? On day one. It's hard to remember a third day is coming on day one. It's harder to remember on day two, but days one and days two are, are when we need to be reminded of this. Maybe you're in a day one or day two season right now. Maybe it feels like for you there is no chance of victory. There's always a third day. 
There's always a third day. I was thinking about the significance of third days in the Bible, and I eventually found myself way back at Genesis 1, where we started the origin story series several weeks ago. You remember, uh, that's the story of creation. You remember what God created on day three, the third day? He created seed-bearing plants. Let me ask you, what is a seed-bearing plant? Seed-bearing plant is a plant with, with, with seed that regenerates itself through its seed. So it is a piece of life that gives life upon life upon life. It's, it's, a, it's a plant that essentially regenerates itself through its seed. And this is how I want you to think about Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Jesus is life. Just like that plant is, he's life. And then he gives life upon life upon life. Here's another way to say it. There's always a third day. This is true on a macro level, all right? The biggest level that it can be in, this is true. And what I mean by that is this is true about death. There's always a third day. That there will come a day when our bodies fail, And there will come a day when our bodies give out. But because of the resurrection, there will be a third day. And Jesus, his life, will give life to our mortal bodies. I sometimes ask people what they think the greatest part of heaven is going to be. And I'm always kind of curious to hear uh, the answers. Sometimes you hear people talk about the streets of gold or the choirs of angels the perfect bodies, the crystal sea, being reunited with loved ones, seeing Jesus. There's no wrong answer to that question, by the way, is what are you most excited to see in eternity when God brings about the ultimate third day for you and he gives life to your mortal body and you spend eternity there, eternity there. What is your favorite piece of imagery? One of mine comes from Revelation 21, starting in verse four. And here's what it says. He, God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Uh, Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. I love this description of heaven, and I love this description of eternity. Here, Here it is. I am making all things new. The old order of things that that John is referring to here, the old order of things are funerals. That's the old order. The old order is cancer, dementia, COVID-19. That is the old order of things. The new order of things is that he is making everything new. He's making our bodies new. He's making the earth new. He's making our faith new because now our faith is sight. Our relationships with each other are made new because the sin nature has been destroyed. He's making every single thing brand new. Those that are victorious, John says, will inherit all of this. And I think that we sometimes get confused about victory and being victorious because we live in a fairly competitive culture. 
And we think victorious means to be the best and to be the first. And so we get these screwy ideas in our head about how I have to be like the number one Christian. I have to be the best. I have to be the most faithful. And it starts to seem like a daunting task to some of us. And we begins to fill some of us. It begins to fill our hearts with fear as we think about, man, have I really been good enough? Have I been the best? Let me ask you a question. What would happen if you entered an event and you knew ahead of time, you knew first off that you weren't going to be the best. You weren't going to be number one. Someone else was going to be the best. Let's say you decide to run a marathon and you train hard. And, and, but, but you know, even with all of your training, you know you're not the fastest, that somebody else is going to win. What would be your goal then for that marathon? Your goal might be to finish. Your goal might be to run the whole thing, to not walk any of it. Your goal would change if you knew someone else was going to win. Let's say you walk on uh, as a, onto a college basketball team and, and you get a position on the team, but the team already has a superstar and they are most definitely going to the NBA. You're most likely not going to be the superstar. What would your goal be then? Your goal might be to practice hard. Your goal might be to get a starting spot. Your goal might be to be the best contributor you can be. Can I tell you something? Jesus ran the race perfectly. Here's the good news. He's the winner of the race. He's the superstar. He is number one. It's not going to be you. Jesus is already finished and he's the winner. You and I are called to finish the race. You and I are called to run the race marked out for us with faithfulness to the best of our ability to never give up. This is what it looks like to, to run your race, race well. It's not being perfect. Jesus already was. It's not being number one. Jesus already was and is. It's about not giving up. It's about staying strong. It's about keeping your faith. It's not, always to keep your, it's not always easy to keep your faith. I'm not trying to depict that that's a super easy thing. Especially when the world doesn't make sense and things are so confusing. But I hope that it encourages you and it bolsters your faith to know there's always a third day. Right now we're in day one, right now we're in day two. There's always a third day that's coming. Ultimate victory is coming. And that's true on a macro level when it comes to our death, but it's true on a micro level as well when we begin to think about day-to-day -day life. One of my favorite texts in the Bible is Romans 8. Here's what Romans 8 says. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any other powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you get a chance later today, if you're feeling discouraged, read the entirety of Romans 8. It is well worth it. But I love this text because here's what this text says. That resurrected Jesus right now, right now, today, he is at the right hand of God interceding for us. His love is interceding. His power is interceding. His grace is interceding. And so out of that reality, that today, right? This isn't just about someday resurrecting and going to heaven. He says today, resurrected Jesus is uh, interceding on our behalf. Several questions flow out of this. Here's question number one. Who can condemn you? Who can condemn you? No one. People can say things against you, but crucified and resurrected Jesus is interceding and saying, you are loved and you are worth dying for. Question number two, who can defeat you? Right? No one can defeat you. When resurrection is, is at play, when the third day is at play, we are free to face death all day long because we know that third day is coming. We have confidence in it. I say at funerals often, please don't say that this person has lost their battle with cancer or dementia or whatever the case may be. Please don't say they lost. What's happened is they have gained their victory in Jesus Christ because of the third day. We are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. Who can defeat you? No one. Who can take everything from us? Trouble and hardship might try to do that, but resurrected Jesus is graciously giving us gift upon gift as upon gift, and no one can take those things from you. Trouble and hardship can take some things. They might be able to do some damage to the economy, right? They might be able to do some damage to our families, but there are things that even, even trouble and hardship cannot take from us. These are gifts from our Heavenly Father, and who can separate you from the love of God? No one, no one can do that because Jesus shouts from the cross and from the empty tomb and now in heaven, how absolutely loved you and I are. No one can take that from you. So he says, because of this third day belief, because of the resurrection, here's what I want to say to you. Be courageous, be courageous. I know it's, uh, it, it, it's a fearful time and it's easy to give into fear. And we're going to do a, a, a five-week series coming out of starting next Sunday on the subject of being not afraid. Be not afraid. So I want to encourage you, be courageous. The third day always comes. So don't be afraid. Be purposeful. Be hopeful. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And this third day mentality, this resurrection mentality, it changes everything. It changes the way we see the end of our life and it changes the way that we see our life right now. It, 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 we, we understand how loved we are. We understand how empowered we are. We, we, we understand a whole bunch of stuff because of the resurrection. And so my prayer for you today is that you would be hopeful, that you would be joyful, 
that you would have a peace that surpasses understanding because of this third day. This is not a typical Easter. It's not. But here's the deal. We need this message of the third day more than ever. That first Easter, it was a discouraging time. That first Easter was an anxious time. That first Easter, there was all kinds of fear in the world. And the Easter, Easter story invaded all of it and gave people a joy, hope, and a peace in our resurrected Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your resurrection. May it invade our lives. May it give us a joy and a hope and a peace in you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is an opportunity uh, right now, um, whether you're alone or, or have some people around you, maybe your family's around you right now, to receive communion and to remember that Jesus came and he was handed over to sinful men. He predicted that will be the case. He will be handed over. He will be crucified. He will die. But he will be resurrected. He will be resurrected. And I don't know where you are in that, what, what is for you right now, how you're feeling, what you're facing right now, but I want you to know, whatever it is, there's always a third day. There's always a third day. So hold on to that truth. And, and communion is an opportunity to remember that. This isn't just about the crucifixion. This isn't just about the death. This is about the fact that we get to worship Jesus who's at the right hand of God because of the resurrection. And that resurrection gives us joy, hope, and peace. God bless. I look forward to seeing you all very soon as we're, we gather back together. I, I, hope it's, uh, I hope it's soon. I miss you guys. And I love you.